like you mean it. This is God's word. Not Pastor Eben's word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Because it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And I thank you that as the word goes forth today, it will land on hearts ready to receive. It will renew our minds in the process. And it will strengthen us to live a faith-filled life. And so as I step back now, I thank you for the Spirit of God stepping up to minister life to your people. And I thank you in advance that our lives will produce fruit of 30, 60, and even 100-fold in our lives as we hear, receive, believe, and exercise your word for our lives. And I declare that now in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As believers, our primary mission in life should be to live by faith. Because it is faith that allows us to not only please God, but it is faith that allows us to live a faith life. Hebrews 11.6, which I'm sure you're familiar with, says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 10.38 says this, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul, this was God talking, shall have no pleasure in him. And many times in our walk with Christ, I believe as believers, we are tempted to draw back and live a safe life. Everybody say a safe life. Sometimes we are tempted to draw back and live a safe life when God has called us to live a faith life. So if you're taking notes today, my message title is Living Safe or Living by Faith. Living Safe or Living by Faith. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to find Mark chapter 10. And uh, we're going to start in verse 20 or verse 16. We'll start in verse 16. That's Mark chapter 10, verse 16. And then eventually we're going to go and look at the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 22. That was 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22. Let's jump right into this story. And let me just set this story up. Jesus uh, had been ministering. And he runs across a young man, and uh, they typically call this young man the rich young ruler. Uh, but it says in verse 16, and he took them up, this, this was children, in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, What he was really asking was, what must I do to live a faith life? And Jesus answered and said unto him, verse 18, 
Why are you calling me good? There is none good but one, and that's God. You know what the commandments are. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not kill. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said unto Jesus, Master, I have observed all these things from my youth. Now, what he was really saying, in my opinion, is, Lord, I've been living a safe life a long time. Now, let's see what happened. Jesus says in verse 21, Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing, everybody say one thing, one thing you lack. And many times you and I, we think there are a slew of things that we need to change in our lives when it's really just one change for the next level that we really need to do. Jesus said to him, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. What Jesus said to the rich young ruler had little to do with giving away his stuff. In essence, what Jesus was saying is, you've been living a safe life for a long time, but now I want you to join me in living a faith life. Just look at your neighbor and say, are you living safe or are you living by faith? Now watch verse 22. And he was sad at that saying and he went away grieved for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about him and said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches entered into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those that trust in riches. Didn't say you couldn't have them. Trust in riches to go through, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying to themselves, then who can be saved? Why would they say that if they didn't have money? See, many people see and view that Jesus and the disciples were poor people. But almost every one of Jesus' apostles were entrepreneurs. Amen. So then watch this now. Peter said, Jesus, lo, we have left all. And have followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man, that includes us, that has left house or brethren or sisters, father or mother, wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he or she shall receive how much? A hundredfold when, now in this time, houses and brethren, sisters, mothers and lands, watch this, with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Now, see, I believe many times this story is a reflection of many people, whether they are believers or not. See, this guy seemed to have had everything he needed in the natural to be, to be fulfilled. And that happens to a lot of people. What happens is we begin to gather and, and have stuff, not realizing that stuff is not going to completely fulfill you. Because if it did, this young man would have been fulfilled. Amen. Listen, he seemed to have had everything he needed in the natural. He seemed to have some type of spiritual commitment to God because the Bible just listed that he was keeping most of the commandments. However, what happened to this guy is what I believe is what happens to us. He got stuck between growth levels. He got stuck between growth. He found himself living a safe life and he knew he needed to change levels, but he didn't know what to do. 
And so he did what you and I begin to do sometimes. We begin to look outside of ourselves instead of looking inside of ourselves. We start looking down or around instead of looking up. People say things when they're stuck between growth levels. People say things like, I'm not growing anymore. I think I need to change churches. Oh, I think I need to change who I'm married to. Oh, maybe I need to change jobs, etc. When what they really need to change is levels. Because every faith level requires a different submission level. If you and I are going to walk by faith, faith has levels. Everybody say faith has levels. Faith has levels. And what happens is many believers... We get stuck at the last faith level too long. And what happens is, is that we end up becoming, watch this, comfortable. And then we get complacent. And before you and I know it, we are living a safe life instead of a life of faith. So what does it mean to live a safe life? Let me describe it. A safe life is one that requires very little effort or change in what we're doing in our lives. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you already. Go on and tell him. It's a comfort zone life where we are living on cruise control. Same old, same old, same old job, same old marriage, same old life. And although you are okay, if you're honest with yourself, the feeling of being bored the feeling of it being the same old, same old is really torturing you. And what you and I don't understand is that we must continue to grow up to go up. I'm going to say that again. For you and I, we must continue to grow up to go up. You cannot go up until you grow up. And going up and living a faith life will always cost us something. And just like the rich young ruler, we look at the cost instead of looking at the hundredfold reward. So there are three things. Say three things. There are three things I'm going to give you today that I believe will help you and I move from living a safe life to living a faith life. Because let me say this to you. A faith life is exciting. Because a faith life is completely dependent on God. And because now God is driving the limo, you have no clue where you're going. But as long as you can trust the driver, you can trust the destination. So the first thing you and I need to move from living a safe life over to living a faith life is that you you and I must get a revelation. Everybody say a revelation. A revelation is to know and have insight into something that you didn't know before. And the best way you and I can get a revelation from God's word to live by faith is to focus on the promises that he has made instead of the difficulty of the principle. I'm going to say that again. In order to get a revelation of living a faith-filled life, you and I must get a revelation. And watch this. We must see the promise instead of struggling with the principle. See, here is what happened to the rich young ruler. He did not stay around long enough to hear the promise of what his faith life would look like. In fact, just look at verse 22. It says, and he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved. He did not stay around long enough after Jesus told him what to do to hear what Jesus said what his life would look like. 
He was so overwhelmed with the principle that he never got vision for the promise. And that's what happens in life to many people, whether they're believers or not. They look at the pain of the promise instead of looking at the reward of the promise. And see, the promise should motivate us to exercise the principle. And here's a good example is David. In 1 Samuel 7-2, I'm going to 17-2, I'm going to show you this uh, principle because David saw the promise. Now, let me just tell you what happened. David was tending sheep. His dad sent him and said, listen, go take this cheese and this food to your brothers. And they're at the battle. Go, go take it to them. And then, you know, assess the situation and come back and tell me how they're doing. So it says now in verse 22, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. He ran to the army and came and saluted his brother. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of, Go- of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistine. And he spoke according to the same words. And David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him, and they were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that, that has come up? Now they're talking to David. Surely he came to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, The king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father house free in Israel. In other words, his house wouldn't have to pay taxes no more the rest of their lives. And David spoke to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to this man that kills this Philistine? The promise was so powerful. David said, run that by me again. So then watch this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistines that he should defy the armies of Israel? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that kills him. David got a glimpse of the promise, and it motivated him to exercise the principle. And we know the story. David ended up fighting Goliath. And guess what? David ended up being king. And you and I, we must live a pre-recorded life. See, a pre-recorded life is a life where we know the outcome before we experience the income. How many have a DVR at your house? You have a DVR? Anybody have a DVR in your house? When you record a show on your DVR, then you have the opportunity to go back and watch it. And it gives you and I the ability to fast forward to see the end, even if we don't want to watch the beginning. Living by faith works the same way. You and I must get a glimpse of the promise. In other words, the end. He says, when I give, I will get blessed. He says, when I treat people right, whatever I sow is what I'm going to reap. That's what he says. Well, we have to get a glimpse. And if you'll notice back in Mark chapter 28 or chapter 10 verse 28, Jesus gave a photo finish line promise before the race had started to the rich young ruler who wasn't even around to hear it. Jesus said, I need you to, you know, go sell this and go do this and go do this. Go give it to the poor and then come back and follow me. The Bible says he was grieved at that saying and he went away. When he went away, Jesus said, well, you know what? People who do what I just told him to do will reap a hundredfold in this life. He wasn't there to hear it. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to be around to hear it. Peter said, Lo, we've left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that left house or brethren or sisters, father, mother, wife or children or lands for my sake, but he shall receive a hundredfold now at this time. Houses, brethren, sisters. Now that don't mean a hundred mothers. 
How many know you don't need a hundred mothers? And you sure don't need a hundred mother-in-laws. Right? Jesus said, you'll see we're a hundredfold. Watch this now. Now in this time. Notice Jesus said, now in this time, not now being today. Because living by faith takes the timing of things out in your life, the timing of the things. Living by faith takes them out of your hands and it puts it in God's hands. Amen. Because the Father knows what we need and when we need it. And our jobs is to just yield to the Father. And see, the process of faith requires three things. Seed, time, and harvest. And see, when you put your future in God's hand, you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you to live a faith-filled life. And sometimes living by faith takes longer than what we anticipate. Everybody say years ago. See, years ago, y'all know uh, a lot of my stories, but I repeat them because some of you all are going to experience them in your life. But I also repeat them because sometimes I'm going to give you an update. Just look at your neighbor and say, this is an update right here. Twelve years ago when we started Word of Truth Family Church, and I was at a pastor's conference for the first time. I was a first-time pastor. I was in my hotel room. I said, Lord, what you want me to give on behalf of the church? When the offering comes, he says, I want you to give $5,000. I said, Lord, I won't be giving $5,000 today. I had never given $5,000 in my life as a pastor, and I wasn't going to start that day. So I wrote a check out for $2,500, and uh, when it was an offering time, they, they, the, they had it where they, you gave publicly. And, and so I went down there, and I put $2,500 in the bucket, and I went back to my seat. And I thought I had done something. I felt good. That's the first time I ever given $2,500 as a pastor. When I got back to my seat, one of my staff members said, Pastor, I believe we're supposed to give another $2,500. I was like, doggone it, doggone it. I wanted to say the devil is a lie, but I knew I couldn't say that. The Lord was trying to get me to obey him. So I was like, okay. I felt like the rich young ruler. I was sad at that saying, but I wrote the $2,500 back and I went back down there. And those people looking at me like, wait a minute, he just walked out here. What is he doing? So I came back down and I put the $2,500 in the bucket and so I walked back to my seat. Before I sat down, the Holy Spirit said, Evan, I want you to give your Rolex watch into the, the, to the, the, uh, the offering. Now, how many know the devil is not going to tell you to give a Rolex watch on? And see, what God was getting me to do is that I had given on behalf of the church, but Edmund Connor had not given anything. And at the time, outside of my house and cars, that was my next prized possession. And so when I sat down, I was frowning. My wife looked at me. She said, babe, what's wrong? I said, the Lord told me to give my watch. She said, well, you better give it then. I wasn't happy about that either. Then she gets excited. Well, I'm going to give my watch too. I'm like, wait a minute. Now he didn't tell you to give your watch. He told me to give my watch. So we, you know, so I sat there for a minute. I was just shining, you know, the watch. Because it was a solid gold watch. It had a, you know, diamond belt. I'm shining. She's like, what you doing? I'm giving my watch a funeral. Leave me alone. I walked down there and I put that watch in the bucket. Fast forward 12 years now. Two weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine says, Pastor Edmund, I was in worship. And for some reason, the Lord told me to give my Bentley edition Brightland watch to you. I said, really? I said, are you sure the Lord told you to do that? He said, I am sure. He pulls this bright. Here it is right here. I just want y'all to see it. He pulls this. Watch this. This Brightland watch was almost double of what I paid for my Rolex. 
Because living, living a life of, of faith sometimes take time. It is not an overnight process. Amen. And here's the thing. The problem with most people is that they want to fast forward without recording the show. In other words, no word in, no faith out. You can't record or fast forward a show that you've never recorded. And many believers, we're trying to, watch this, we're trying to make a withdrawal from a deposit we never made. Faith comes by hearing the word. And so until you and I make a deposit of the word, then guess what? There is no word to make a withdrawal on. Amen. Which brings me to my second point that you and I must do to move from living a safe life over to a faith life. And that is we must have preparation. Everybody say preparation. Notice what Jesus said to the disciples after the rich young ruler left. He told them, he said, you know what? You know, you're going to receive a hundredfold in this life. But then he says, with persecutions. See, when you decide to live a life of faith, you're going to experience problems, pressures, and persecutions. But here is the paradox of what I just said. If you live a safe life, you're going to experience problems, pressures, and persecutions. So I'd rather face problems, pressures, and persecutions with faith than without faith. And that's why you and I, we must prepare. Because God's already given us insight into the faith life. You can write down 1 Timothy 6.12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says, Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And the only way you and I are going to win the faith fights in our lives is to prepare. Do you really, really think a boxer goes into a ring without first preparing himself? Can you imagine a boxer preparing for his next fight? And as he goes into the the ring to spar and gets hit, he'd be shocked like, Oh, why you hit me? No, being hit is part of the sport. Well, listen, having a fight is part of the faith life. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. I love another version. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is appeared. I love the message translation. This is what it says. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. If you want to get the belt after the fight, you got to endure. Can I get an amen? And when you look at King David's life, you will see problems, pressure, and persecution. First First Samuel 17, 26 says this. And David spoke to the men that stood around him. He said, what shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine? Verse 27. And the people answered him again saying, so shall it be done. But watch verse 28 though. And Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. He got angry against David and said, why did you come here? 
Why did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your naughtiness of heart. But you came down just to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there a cause? And watch what he did. He turned away from his brother. And see, that's how you have to deal with people. It says, he turned from him toward another and spoke again. One translation says this. What is it with you, replied David? All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brothers, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer as before. Everybody say, haters. No, no, no. Here it is. David is obeying his father. And now his older brother wants to raise up. But, but, but God gave, David did something you and I need to do. See, many of us, we want to defend ourselves against haters. We want, we want to, no, 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 no. What did David do? The Bible says he ignored his brother. So just look at your neighbor and say, ignore the haters. Now look at your other neighbor and say, ignore the haters. I think the biggest principle you and I need to understand about living by faith is that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. You caught up with your ex-husband. It ain't even about him, baby. Come on, man of God. You caught up with Shanika. Well, it ain't about Shanika. And that's why when Jesus was approached by these spiritual forces, he says, it is written. And I'm amazed of how many believers won't break through without knowing the word. So I'm going to give you a take-home statement right now. You can write it down. The word must grow below the ground before you can see what it produces above the ground. I'm going to run that one by you again. The word must grow below the ground before you see what it can produce above the ground. And the reason it's so important to know the word because the word helps renew your mind, but it also helps you to think like God. And then once you start thinking like God, guess what? You'll start obeying God because the whole faith life boils down, watch this now, to me and you trusting God enough to obey him. And see, if you spend half the time, everybody say half the time, if you spend half the time in the Word as you do watching TV or as watch as the stomach turns, <laughs> playing video games, talking on the phone, going out with your homies, if you spend half the time in the Word, you'd be a spiritual giant by now. Because let me tell you something about the Word. The Word's got to get in your spiritual veins. It don't just work because you know it in your head. It's got to go from your head down into your heart. And the only way it gets into your heart, you have, a, you have to have a conviction. This thing, listen, when they poke you, the Word ought to come out. When the devil starts poking you, the Word needs to come out. See, the devil's poking you. I hate my, oh, I hate this job. How are you going to hate a job God gave you? But you know what he's doing? He's using reverse psychology on you. What he wants you to do is start speaking against the thing that God has blessed you with because the words of your might are going to produce death or life. So your preparation and my preparation is summarized in three words, serving, sowing, and submitting to God. And listen, don't allow what you're doing right now to be minimized because, you know, the Bible says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. I love Job 8, 7. It says, though your beginning was small, your latter end shall be greatly increased. Listen, David, his experience with the bear and his experience with the lion prepared him for Goliath. So listen, do what you're doing with all of your heart. You said, Pastor, I don't like my job. 
pretend to like it. If you pretend long enough, what you're pretending is what you'll start feeling. Amen. Ask people who lie about their age. They have said it so much. They have convinced themselves of an age they ain't. Here's the last thing you and I must do to move from living a safe life over into a faith life. We must produce celebration. Remember, we said we got to have a revelation. Then we have to have some preparation. And the third principle is we need to live a life of celebration. Because, see, watch this. Celebration is the key to manifestation. If you read James chapter 1, verse 2 and 2 through 4, it says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into temptations. Knowing this, here's the manifestation, that the trying of your faith is going to work some patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Why? Because you will become perfect or mature and entire, wanting nothing. One version says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptation? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. Why should we live a life of celebration? Because celebration produces manifestation. I'm going to say this last verse, Psalm 67, verse 5 says, Let the people praise you, O God, or let the people celebrate you, O God. Watch this. Then shall the earth yield or release her increase. See, when you and I begin to now celebrate in life, instead of now being upset about life, when you celebrate, it causes manifestation to come. Because now you're saying, God, I trust you with my process. I don't need to be married to celebrate. I don't need to be married. Uh, I don't need to have the, 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 the job of my career to celebrate. I don't need to have a whole lot of money in the bank to celebrate. I don't need to have the weave I really, really want God to celebrate. I don't need, I don't have to have a car. That I think I want to drive to celebrate. See, because a life of faith says, I can see the car. It's part of my promise. It's part of my future. So I'm just going to thank God for it now. And let me tell you something about God as we close. When you start celebrating and thanking God ahead of time, that's really your faith in process. You know how you can know if you are in faith or not? Just listen to yourself. What would your attitude be if somebody said, hey, I got some connections over at the Lotto Center. (laughs) Go get your Lotto number and whatever number, whatever, whatever number you got, just give me the number. And I have a contact who's going to make sure your number is pulled. Now, see, I could just see you right now. Quitting your job before the thing is even announced. Going in. I don't care about this job. You can take this job and shut it. 
Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You are bragging about this lotto. Because see, they done told you that they've done 10 people like this. And you knew all 10 people done won the lotto. So now your confidence in winning the lotto causes you to start celebrating. God, I thank you for the money. I thank you for my new car that I don't have yet. Thank you. I'm going to pay my house off, God. I'm going to bless my church, God. You're just doing all that. And you ain't got nothing yet. Well, when you live a life of celebration, Lord, I thank you right now. I thank you for my health. I know what the doctor is saying, but by your stripes, I'm already healed, God. I thank you, Father, that I may have just enough right now in the bank, God. But you are my sufficiency in all things, God. You are the Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. And so, Lord, I want to thank you right now for supplying all of my needs, God. I know I'm single right now, God. But you already have the right person set up for my life. And so, Lord, I thank you for my Boaz, Lord. I thank you for my Ruth, Lord. Lord, I know I'm not working the job I want right now. But, Father, I thank you right now that you're going to supply the job of my dreams. Faith is believing before it happens. Did you get something out of the word today? Give the Lord a hand clap. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There are some people in this room who are living a safe life. That's why you're bored. That's why you're thinking about cheating. That's why you're upset. That's why you, things are not the way. It's not even about what you're seeing. It's, it's time for you to change levels. time to change and the only person that can change the level is your decision so I know I'm talking to some people this morning that God's ready for you to make the change of levels by making watch this now another submission level to him so father right now in Jesus name I thank you for the word and those who are living in the safe zone who need to switch over into the faith zone. I come into agreement with them right now that they will make a decision. A decision of submission. I thank you that this decision is going to catapult them into new levels, new destinies, and a new faith life. In Jesus' name. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, I fully submit to the next level for my life. I'm through digging my heels in. I'm through being bored. I'm ready for the next level. And I submit to you now. And I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what I need to do and I'm committed Lord to growing so I can go up in Jesus name if you're here today you say Pastor Evan if I died I'm